We're going to be looking at a very familiar passage of Scripture, arguably uh, one of the most familiar in all the New Testament, John chapter 3 and verse 16. Uh, we're going to look at this for a few nights uh, ahead of us uh, under the heading, uh, For God So Love. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God so loved. There was a British evangelist, I'm not going to call his name, because his view of salvation and of grace was different than ours. But he had a 40-plus year ministry. Now, understand, he was an itinerant preacher. He traveled around from place to place, preached revival meetings, conferences. In his day, he was very famous. But he took John 3.16 as his passage every time he preached. For his entire ministry. He made that promise to God, made that commitment. I'm going to preach on this. It was his view that all of the major doctrines of Scripture could be found here, and he pretty well covered them, <laughs> but he always started out by preaching on the love of God. I understand the spirit, if not the letter. It might be a little hard to find the story of creation in John 3.16, although John 3.16 begins with God, and by the way, Genesis 1.1 does too. So I can see how he might make that connection. And uh, that's the kind of thing that he did. It didn't really matter what he was going to preach on, what passage of Scripture. It always started with this, and what a great start. God loves you. God so loved. And when we think about how that God so loves us, we're thinking a whole lot about the quality of God's love. If we were to describe the quantity of God's love, our mind would immediately spring to the words of the old hymn writer uh, who said, if we uh, with ink, if we could with ink the ocean fill and were the sky parchment made, uh, were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade to write the love of God would drain the oceans dry nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. That was his way of saying that the subject of the love of God is too big for us. Uh, we really cannot talk about the quantity of God's love, but the Bible does describe the quality of God's love, and it does so in language easily understood, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. John would write about the love of God often. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 16, for example, he said, By this we know love. By this we know love. Because he laid down his life for us. And we ought also to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's good and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and truth. And so John's writings not only tell us about the quality of God's love, but it also tells us about the effects of God's love and how God is working in us and changing us as God places His love inside of us. What God's love does to us, we could say, and what God's love does through us. What God's love does to us. What it does through us. 
And I think we can easily see that in John 3.16 and 1 John 3.16. Now, I don't want to make too big of a deal about that tonight because you understand that the Holy Scriptures were not inspired with chapters and verse distinctions. Those were added later. That was not part of the original text. So I can't say that God the Holy Spirit saw to it that John 3.16 would say, For God so loved and then 1 John 3.16 would say, by this we know love. I'm just glad it worked out that way <laughs> because it makes it a, a little bit easier for us to understand some great passages of Scripture, what God's love does to us and what God's love does through us. And I'm going to go through a number of passages of Scripture tonight that talk about the love of God that are going to illustrate one or the other or both sides of that equation, what God's love does to us and what God's love does through us. And obviously for a beginning place tonight, we have to understand that God's love secures our salvation. If, if God didn't love us the way He loves us, I'm going to tell you something, He wouldn't fool with us. And by us, I'm talking about humanity. Humanity. Mankind. If you want to talk about it individually, okay, I can still say that. If God didn't love me the way He loved me, He would have never ever done what he did. His love's incredible. Especially when you think about humanity as a whole. If we wanted to leave it in that safe zone, we could do that. Read the newspaper. Well, get online and check out the news. Okay. Uh, that's what most of us do anymore, and we may have to all do that except on Sunday, it looks like, from what I've heard. I don't know if that's true or not. Um, you hear a lot of bad things going on in humanity as a whole. A lot of bad stuff. A lot of evil. A lot of depravity. A lot of wickedness. A lot of rebellion. A lot of rejection. A lot of hatred of God. And the rejection of God's truth. When you think about humanity as a whole... We could understand if God would have just let us go extinct, kind of like the dodo bird, you know, just let us go. Or even more, that he wouldn't have just moved in judgment. We know of at least one time that God's judgment went over the whole earth and all of humanity except for one family who found grace in the eyes of the Lord all the rest were wiped out. You read the book of Revelation and you know an awful time, a terrible time of God's judgment is coming. We know that. But still we have this incredible passage, but God so loved. And we can just say tonight, thank you God for loving me the way you love me, for saving me because none of us could be saved except for the love of God. God's love then is placed in us because the Spirit of God lives in us and, and God is love. God's love abides in us. And John tells us that in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 16. How does the love of God abide in Him? Uh, well, there's a simple answer to that question. Uh, first of all, if you're saved then, uh, the Bible says that the Spirit of God takes up residence in your life. 
Number two, the Bible tells us, we'll see this in a few moments, that God is love. That is, by His character and His nature, God is love. That means if God lives inside of you, and He does by the presence of the Holy Spirit, then God's love is in you. If He abides in you, and He does, then His love abides in you. And because His love is in us, because He has saved us, and because then the Spirit of God is placed in us, then God is changing us. And He changes us to make us something different. To make us a little bit more like Him. That's that's what this passage is telling us. By this we know, 1 John 3.16, by this we know love because He laid down His life for us And we also ought to lay down our lives for our brethren. Now, very few of us are ever going to be required to pay that ultimate price or sacrifice to sacrifice our life in order to save someone else's. There might someday be a burning building and you'll be faced with that choice. Well, I give my life for the possibility of saving someone else's. Every time 911 rolls around, I think about those firemen who were running up while everybody else was running down. They did that. But not many of us will ever be given that chance, that opportunity, or that made that requirement, that had that requirement made upon us. And so John doesn't leave us just in that theory. He takes it on into a a very practical way that he shows us then how we can lay down our lives for the brethren. He said, whoever has this world's good and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? And so he speaks of how we treat our brothers and sisters in Christ and how we see then our brother, our, our sister in Christ then in need. And we have the ability, the means within our control to maybe help them. This is a brother in Christ. Do we have compassion for that person? Do we have care for that person? It can be difficult for us to figure out how to help somebody. Um, I spent uh, a number of years as a pastor in a town not far from here. When you took off the exit from I-40 in our town, the first church you came to was ours. And if I was in the office, my car was parked in front of the church, literally there would hardly be a day that went by that somebody didn't buzz our door, broke down, needing help, needing money, needing food, kids hungry. It was a never-ending stream. And that went on not just for a day or two, not just during the summer, but it was week after week, month after month, year after year. I want to be honest with you tonight. I struggled a lot of times to know how to help people. I developed my own criteria of some things that I would use. I I wouldn't help somebody who lied to me. If they lied to me and told me, well, my car was broke down and we had to put a new alternator on. Well, you know, I'm an old country boy and I know what an alternator is. I just tell them, pop the trunk or pop the hood. Let me see. And if they wanted a brand new alternator on there, I knew they'd lied. Not going to help people who lie. I didn't help people who smelled of cigarettes or who had beer cans in the back of their truck. And 
You know, you might call me legalistic, but that's just the way it was. I had to do something. I didn't know how to help a lot of people because a lot of people are in trouble and they need money, but they need money for the wrong things and the wrong reasons. And if I tried to help them, tried to give it to them, uh, then all I was doing I felt like was enabling their bad behavior. We struggle sometimes knowing how to help people. Let me ask you a quick question tonight. How much do you think God struggles with all the people asking him to do stuff. You ever think about that? How many prayers are prayed to God, asking God for things that God knows we don't need? How many people crying out to God for something? Crying out to him for help? But even though God has that to deal with, still the Bible tells us that he sends rain uh, upon the just and the unjust, and he calls his sun to shine on the wicked, the evil, and the good. God blesses people all the time who never acknowledge it, who don't deserve it. All of us can say amen to that one tonight. God bless me. I didn't deserve it. I didn't deserve it. Yeah. But God's love does create in us a divine compassion and even a divine compulsion to help people. There's something in us that when we see our brothers and sisters in Christ and we see them in need, that we want to respond to that. And a lot of times what causes that in us is the love of God that abides in us. As Christians, we don't see everybody's need the same. Some see the need of impoverished children living without ever having received any kind of a gift or any kind of a blessing uh, from any other person. And, and maybe they see a great need to help then that impoverished child enjoy Christmas. And they have a great burden, and many in our church do, for Operation Christmas Child. Uh, over the years, I, I've been in some amazing situations because people ask for help. I could tell stories about that a long, long time. Uh, but uh, uh, that's not my point tonight. Uh, I, I want us to see that all of us have a compassion for people, and we may see things in different ways and see people in different ways. That means tonight that I might help somebody that you wouldn't help. You might help somebody that I wouldn't help. You might have a burden for helping in some area. You might see uh, the need for uh, providing good meals for hungry people in our community. You've got a compassion for that and a burden for that. A lot of people do. Some people see the homeless, and they uh, have a burden for people who are living without a roof over their head, and, and so they, they work and volunteer for Habitat for Humanity or, or, or go to work in some place, some area uh, where people are going to be helped. Others see natural disasters and calamities. A lot of times our feeling of those burdens in other people are born out of our own experience. Uh, I've seen people who've lost all to a fire who had a great burden then for people who were going through burnouts and who wanted then to help, and they just were moved toward helping people who suffered that. People who've gone through a storm, lost everything to a tornado, they have a great burden then for people who suffer in the midst of those things. So sometimes we see these burdens and we can say, yeah, they're born out of our own experiences. That's true. But there's more to it, folk, when we're a child of God. Because that's the love of God working in us. 
to, sh- to get, help us to see then, to show us the needs of other people, to give us a desire, a burden uh, to help someone. This must not be a blind desire. Uh, Sometimes I've, I've noticed over my life that people are very generous, seem like, with the tax money of the United States. Y'all notice that? Well, man, the government ought to do something. Every time I hear somebody say that on TV, I want to say, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Well, there's people that need help. Are you going to help them? You see, that, that's not the love of God saying, somebody ought to do something. The love of God says, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? How can I help? I should help. So the love of God is in us, and it's in us because the Spirit of God lives in us, and therefore the love of God is in us, and it changes us to give us a divine compassion and even a divine compulsion Uh, to help others. There are times I believe with all my heart that the Spirit of God just prompts us, moves us to help somebody. When you do that, when He does that, He's never going to do that if you don't have anything to help Him with. Okay. But when He does, and you've got a means to help Him, help Him. Help Him. Always share the gospel with Him. Always. Point them to Jesus Christ. That may be the whole point that they're in a mess that they're in. The love of God is in us. And the love of God is changing us into giving people. But then the the love of God also works through us. I want to share with you a few passages of Scripture real quickly. Luke chapter 11, verse 42. But woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs and pass by justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without leaving the others done. They passed by justice and the love of God. I'll be honest with you. I I struggle a little bit with that passage because the Pharisees were some of the most legalistic people who ever lived. And you would have thought that they would have been big on the justice of God. But you have to think about it. You see, legalists are absolutely adept. They excel at following a simple rule. Sin is whatever you do that I don't do. That's legalism. The Pharisees were eat up with it. That's why they could condemn the woman who was caught in adultery in John chapter 8 and let the man go. Both of them were guilty under the same law. But they were adept. They excelled at passing by the judgment of God as it applied to them. They could see how it applied to others. So Jesus said, you're passing by the justice of God, which applied equally to all. And they also passed by the love of God. Oh, how terrible it was to be that person so meticulous that they would go through their flower pots and pull out their mint plant. You ever seen mint growing? You know what it looks like? little plant, little thing like that, little small. Uh... I'm going to tell you, it smells a lot more than it tastes. Uh, smells, smells a lot better than it tastes. Smells like spearmint. You start chewing it up and all it is is bitter. 
I know that because my grandmother grew it in her flower beds. Smelled just like spearmint gum. Didn't taste like that <laughs> at all. I could imagine the Pharisee is sitting out there saying, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Boom, that's tenth. This one's the Lord's. I wonder how he took that up to the temple. Paying my tithe today. The tithe of my mint. Mint, most of the time in Palestine, grew wild. It just grew in people. They did cultivate it, but it, for the most part, it was just it just kind of came up. To me, it kind of corresponds to poke salad. Y'all know what poke salad is? It just kind of comes up. Nobody plants poke salad. It's just kind of there. Uh, my wife doesn't cook it. I cook it. Uh, if you cook it and you want to pay a tithe, call me. <laughs> I love poke salad. I do. Uh, cornbread makes it even better. I'm not uh, diminishing the importance of the tithe. Remember, Jesus said, this ought you to have done, but not to have left the other done, but, uh, undone. But how sad it is to go through life counting mint plants and ignoring the judgment and the love of God. Every person on this planet needs to know that God is a God of love, but every person on this planet needs to know that God is a God of judgment. And the only way to avoid His judgment is by receiving His love through Jesus Christ. Amen. Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, patience experience, and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed, because, there it is, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. You see, I didn't make that up. It is because of the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life and mine that the love of God is shed abroad and abundantly in us. We experience His love because the Spirit of God lives in us. And because of that, we know that our tribulation produces patience or endurance. We know that tribulation with patience then gives us something else. It is an experience. We call that a testimony. I love to get around God's people and hear the stories. I love to hear the stories of, of folks older than me, and there's getting to be fewer in number of those all the time, but I love to hear their stories, their testimonies of the difficult times that God has got them through, the things they learned as God brought endurance into their life. That shared experience then produces hope, not only in our own life, because God has got me through before, and I know He'll get me through again. But also it then sheds hope into the lives of other people. And that hope, listen, Paul says confidently, will never be ashamed. Why? Because of the love of God. Because I know God loves me. And that love is something that the Holy Spirit is constantly shedding in abroad into our hearts. So that at our worst day, I know God loves me. The hardest time, God loves me. 
The time when I'm just barely getting by, but I'm getting by. God loves me. God loves you. I know then that hope is never going to be ashamed because of the love of God that's in our hearts. I know y'all love this one, Romans 8, 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Well, let me just consider some possibilities with you right quick. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, as is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We live and die in the love of God. We're in God's love in distress. We're in God's love in persecution. We're in God's love if we're hungry. We're in God's love if we're cold. We're in God's love when we're under the threat of death. We're in God's love when we're suffering persecution. We're in God's love when we're under threat from the angels and principalities and powers. Sometimes, folk, we feel like we've got a big target sign on our back because we do. There's a very real enemy. And he hates God and he hates God's people. Sometimes we feel like we're under attack from the principalities and the powers, from things that are beyond our ability to control. But I want you to know, even then, God's love is upon us. I'm in the love of God when I'm on the upward way. And you heights I'm gaining every day. I'm in the love of God when I'm walking through the deepest, darkest valleys. All those things are true of you. If I sound like I'm preaching to myself tonight, I probably am. Because I need it, but you do too. Say sometimes, Brother Rich, I'm down in the depths. I can't feel God anywhere. There's a lot of things I can doubt. But when I look at the cross of Jesus Christ, I cannot doubt God's love. We're in the love of God. Titus chapter 3 and verse 3 For we ourselves were also once foolish disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. We could all write our name in that passage. All of us. I was once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. When the kindness and love of God our Savior toward men appeared not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. When the kindness and the what? Love of God our Savior toward man appeared. If you're saved tonight, it's because the love of God appeared to you. <laughs> I can tell you when it appeared to me, and you can tell me when it appeared to you. Verse 3 tells us how God found us hating and full of hate. And verse 4, 
what happened to us when the love of God appeared. A couple of more verses and we're done for tonight. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. When I first started in Iwana many years ago, uh, the earliest group that we had was the Cubbies. And the Cubbies group started out with this passage, God loved us and sent His Son. That was their key verse. It's the first verse they learned before they could get their little vest. God loved us and sent His Son. Now, well, we've got Puggles. I'm not sure what the Puggles key verse is, but I'm not sure whether the Cubbies still use that one or not, but I'll guarantee you this one. I've never forgot it. I never read that passage that I don't think Cubbies blew. And if I think, think maybe tonight I'm making a little promotion for the fact that uh, in four weeks, five weeks now, uh, Awana's going to start, it could be that. Probably not, but it might be at least some of that. We need some leaders. God loved us and sent His Son. Isn't that a great thing to teach a three-year-old? Raise them up knowing about the love of God. Jude 21, last verse. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Isn't that a great passage? Keep yourselves in the love of God. Why would the Bible tell us to do something like that? Because there's a lot of things in this world that tend to push us away from the love of God. God never stops loving us. The Holy Spirit lives in us. If we're a believer, God's love is always in us. But I identify well with the prayer that I heard from an old man. Lord, don't let me get bitter. Let me get better. Don't let me get bitter. He said he prayed that over and over again. Let me get better. The older I get, I understand why he prayed that way all the time. There's a lot of things that happen as we go along. So Jude just tells us real simple. Keep yourselves in the love of God. If God's love's not in it, and you and I probably don't need to have anything to do with it. Amen? Keep yourselves in the love of God. What a great passage and a great way to end a message. Are you in God's love tonight? If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're not. The only way to experience God's love in your own life is to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. Jesus Christ died on the cross so that you could have eternal life. He was buried, but he didn't stay dead. He rose again the third day so that he could give out the invitation, whosoever believeth on me should not perish, but have everlasting life. And his victory over death proves that. But you could know every word of that and never receive Christ as your Savior and die and spend eternity in a place the Bible calls hell. Because the Bible says, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God even to those that believe on His name. Have you believed on Jesus Christ as your Savior? If you have, then you have received the love of God in your life. If you haven't, you need to. Let's stand together, please.